Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt. This is Cutting Through the Matrix on May the 23rd, 2013. There's always newcomers to the show, so I always ask them to look into cuttingthroughthematrix.com website to make good use of it because there's lots of information in the archives section where I go through the history over quite a few years, in fact, I've been put up these free audios for download and I go through the history of the big system we're born into and how it truly is a system, very intelligent system, run by people, think tanks and so on, and foundations across the world. And the foundations themselves are owned by multi-billionaires, some of them trillionaires, in fact, and uh, and they, they basically run the way the world is run, the shape, the whole direction of the future, because they and their offspring want to be in charge of it again for another generation and so on into infinity. So uh, help yourself to the website. As I say, remember too that you are the people who keep me going along here and I just take along sometimes. So if you want to keep me going along, I don't be on advertisers as guests. I don't take money from companies or anything like that. So it's up to you to keep me going if you want to. And you can buy the books and discs at cuttingthroughthematrix.com. And I go through in the books, I go through the art of chronology, very old art. It's, uh, it's actually up to its expert uh, stage today in this day and age by by all the psychology, neuroscience and so on. It's all involved in tricking the public in so many different ways that they're unaware of to direct their minds, give them their opinions uh, and shape the future, of course. So, as I say, you can buy those. And from the U.S. to Canada, you can still use personal checks or international postal money orders, or you can send cash, or you can use PayPal. Across the world, Western Union, MoneyGram, and PayPal. And straight nations are terribly welcome as we go through inflation, or quantitative easing, as I like to call it. Sounds better, doesn't it? And that's part of the whole trickery of managing the public. It's all to do with terminology. Uh, even the, um, the so-called old terrorist groups of the, the, the communist uh, system in the U.S. during the 60s came up with these ideas of using terminology, and they give you the terms that you now use in many areas, in fact, as they change them to make them sound less harsh or judgmental for particular terms used on certain peoples or groups or whatever, everything else. And then you start to use their terms and you don't realize you're actually deflating your own uh, points of view and shifting the sands underneath your feet as you use their terms as far as your stance goes. And we're managed this way in, in, by so many experts from advertising, marketing, as I say, neuroscience, psychology, behaviorism, and so on. So uh, you've got to understand how it's done. You can't really use your mind if you're sitting in front of a television or even a radio all day long and listen, listen, letting other people fill your head with some, their thoughts. They're not your own thoughts. You've got to have time to yourself to digest stuff, uh, accept stuff, or reject it, or simply delete it, or find out for yourself. And that takes peace and quiet. And very few folk today have any peace and quiet to themselves. In fact, they've been trained not to. A lot of people today have anxiety and even neurosis if a TV isn't on all day and night, even when they're sleeping. 
It's a sad state of affairs, but we've been trained to do this because these things are technically addictive. And as life gets more stressful and more fast-paced, more and more worries, more uncertainties, and that's how we're ruled is through uncertainties. And then the government always say that you need us, the government, because we fix all your uncertainties for you as they create more and more and more, of course. That's a technique of control. And it makes you feel helpless. It's meant to. As to teach you that you have no power whatsoever. That's the whole technique of government and all the crises they create. And, uh, and again, it's abusers. Abusers tend to abuse their children and the children, uh, they're taught, groomed by these abusers. They turn to the abuser for help. And that's what the public do to governments. Back with more after this. Hi folks, we're back cutting into the matrix. I've talked about politicians so much and I don't like talking about politicians because I don't really believe in them. Uh, uh, even in the Middle Ages and before that, even in ancient Greece and Rome and so on, politicians were often looked upon uh, with very little uh, esteem at all because they generally tend to be crooks out for themselves. And so many studies have been done on psychopathy too that you'll find an awful lot of psychopaths claw their way up into uh, to get the money purse or basically the honey pots you might say of the taxpayers that's where the money is when you get up to the top in politics that's why governments lobby I mean, are lobbied constantly by big corporations too for their big jobs that they want to do or have roads built or whatever they want the public purse to do it for them then they're given it for a few pennies and then of course they, they charge excessive uh, rates to travel on them and so on and that's how things really work but it's the same with politicians as they, they're, they're showing the ropes how to get up there. And if you go through the histories, especially in Britain, they often publish the histories of some of the politicians who've, right after campaigns have been run, and you'll find that most of them have been bankrupt many times before, run up credit cards many, many times before, over excess or had them removed, etc., etc. That's because they want a lavish lifestyle, you see. And so they go into politics, and all you have to do in politics is to con the public, and that's a gift that psychopaths have. It comes naturally to them. Uh, they seem to be born with it, and uh, and they look straight at you and tell you any lie at all in the most pleasant possible way, and you'll believe it. They're very believable, and often often that they're very likable too, as they go through their nefarious little tricks. Anyway, it says here that that the gilded lifestyle of the members of the European Parliament has been compared to the uncontrolled excesses of ancient Rome after research showed their perks have not been dented despite biting austerity measures on the public. This is from Italian MEPs who enjoy free haircuts to Maltese ones who get 52 free gallons of petrol, which is gasoline a month. The perks and expenses continue unabated for the representatives of European Union nations. This is the members of the European uh, uh, politicians from the 27 EU nations are paid salaries of £137 million as collectively a year. £137 million a year from 27 countries. According to research by a German pricing watchdog, and it says here, the huge sum paid by the 500 million citizens does not include the lavish allowances for legislators' staff. 
and it's, it's astonishing too all the extra perks that get on top of it. It said we're dealing in Brussels and some national parliaments of the EU countries with conditions similar to the to ancient Rome. Because just like in the former uh, Roman Senate, none of these new class EU senators are controlled in any way. For example, a member of the European Parliament of France has a salary for around 740% higher than the salary level of the average French person. The data mined by the, by the Spreeswerlich uh, investigators will only serve to fuel rising resentment in the UK with entire European projects. And it says uh, an average monthly salary and other allowances of, of £15,239 is received by a member of the European Parliament totaling over £182,826 per year. That's not a bad, bad deal, is it? Plus two, remember, politicians and most countries, and how it came to this, I have no idea, they're all the same. Well, actually I do, because I know the Royal Institute of International Affairs said they spread democracy across the world. It's the same system of central banking and private hands and all the rest of it. But anyway, uh, the thing is, they, they do, um, I think, serve four or five years. I think it's five years now. Uh, even your national government, they get a lifelong pension, full full pension. And it's updated every year with the cost of living. As it goes up, that goes up automatically too. Uh, full medical coverage, you name it. All these perks for working five years of their life, you know, sitting on their, you know, you, you know what. Anyway, it says here that um, an MEP salary adds a base fee and additional extras such as allowances, attendance fees, and travel expenses. In addition, the cost for offices and staff for the plenary members of the European Parliament make up an amount of up to £18,125 per month or up to £217,507 annually. This means, said the survey, that the MEPs earn 878% more than the the Mr. or Monsieur of the EU, the average EU wages as listed by stats statisticians in Brussels in £18,617 per annum. And uh, it says the average working wage in the UK is £22,992 per year. MEPs earn around 200% more than the salary of Westminster members of Parliament. It's quite amazing because the whole thing's a farce, even the politicians, because, you see, the commission at the top makes all the rules and laws. And the Parliament's separate. And the parliamentarians are allowed to debate things and, uh, and score brownie points as they put each other down. For, for limelight and cameras, but they can't put forth bills for laws changes, and they can't they can't stop laws from getting passed. So it's a point of having it gives the appearance of a democracy. That's what it's for. But it says here, British members of the European Parliament, and all with all their travelling and other expenses taken into consideration, cost the British taxpayer £914,600 a year in each five-year legislative period. The sum would take the average wage earner in the UK 40 years to attain. <laughs> a Bulgarian citizen they found would have to work for 108 years to earn as much as his Brussels representative does in this time scale. And it says, it can be said that in contrast to the assertions of both the European Parliament and the EU national parliaments, there's not much of actual transparency in the methods and inner structures of remuneration of the European parliamentarians. Uh, the extreme differences in pay structure between politicians and citizens are very serious. Well, no kidding, eh? This is at least as much need for discussion on this issue as on the EU's plan to cap the manager salaries of public companies. 
And uh, it's, it's, I think it's no different than, than even your national governments are much. Everything is corrupted, you know. And the reason they pay them so much too is, is not uh, is to keep them quiet. So, so they won't. So they'll keep little bits of gossip they get. There's really ha- things that are really happening. The public wouldn't like. They keep it quiet. That's what they're paid off to do. Other stuff they're allowed to yap about and have their little tetes about. But the fact is that they're paid well to keep their mouth shut. That's the bottom line. It's very simple, isn't it? And also, too, one bit of good news. It says, for decades, fluoride has been marketed and heralded as an essential for, for good dental hygiene and used in most toothpaste and mouthwashes. In addition, parents have been routinely encouraged to give their children cavity-fighting fluoride treatments when they visit the dentist. Beginning in the late 1940s, aided by mass industry, lead lobbying campaigns, the government encouraged municipal water authorities to add fluoride to their communities' drinking water. According to the Center for Disease Control, approximately 70% of the U.S. population ingests fluoride through their community drinking water today, and they want this percentage to continue to climb. This is in stark contrast to other developed European nations where fluoride is rarely added to drinking water, since Britain provides only about 10% of their population with fluoridated water. The experts and their governments told us fluoride would strengthen tooth enamel, help prevent tooth decay, and is of course perfectly safe. Community water fluoridation is an equitable, cost-effective and cost-saving method of delivering fluoride to most people, noted Dr. William Mass, Director of CDC's Division of Oral Health. But that was then and this is now. In a surprising reversal last month, EPA has announced that it intends to lower the maximum amount of fluoride in drinking water because of growing evidence supporting the chemicals' possible deleterious effects to children's health. In 2006, the National Academy of Sciences reported that that found dental fluorosis caused by too much fluoride capable of putting children at risk of developing other dental problems during the breakdown of tooth enamel, discoloration and pitting. You can see in a lot of children's teeth. There's little, little white spots in amongst enamel. And uh, that's, that's what it causes when it's too much fluoride. Because uh, we are bones too, the same way makes them brittle. Since January's EPA recommendation reversal was made following a reversed, a revised risk assessment and study that found two out of five adolescents had tooth streaking or spottiness and some pitting as a result of excessive fluoride. In addition, other studies have found excessive ingestion of fluoride capable of increasing the risk of brittle bones leading to fractures and debilitating bone abnormalities. So it's good too to understand a lot more on this because we can talk and talk and talk on it. The fact is, it's a poison. And, and even on the toothpaste, in some countries, they have warnings on the maximum amount allowed per day by their own medical authorities. And um, and then they find it's in your drinking water and everything. And so you're, you're taking way beyond the maximum level per day. Uh, brushing your teeth once a day or twice a day is, is to the maximum level. And it's also in your drinking water. But also goes for the brain as well, as we well know. And so many studies have been done about that too. And say brittle bones is are definitely, it's definitely a factor in the whole thing as well. But it makes you very easy, rather compliable to, the, to any propositions. You're less uh, aggressive. Remember, sometimes you have to be aggressive for for um, survival. It's a survival thing we've got built into as a mechanism. And sometimes you have to be aggressive. Well, when it's taken away from you and you're running in a totalitarian system, they prefer this system because you cause very little problem. You just go, oh, well, and you shake your head and, and you go and do something else. 
So uh, drugs are, it's a drug too, remember, and a poison. And at one time, uh, the big boys like Alcan and so on, it was owned by the Brobmans at one time, they had all this uh, stuff, this fluoride that comes from uh, the, the, the scrapings of their chimneys, the big chimney smokestacks that they have for their big uh, alum- aluminum plants. And they used to have to dispose of that and pay the mafia off to get rid of it in dumps because it was so toxic. So they came up with the great idea of, of getting the public to swallow it instead and buy it. Not bad trick, isn't it? Good trick. And, of course, they bought off a lot of dentists at the top, too, the old Bernays trick, and got them to sign their names to it. And that's good enough for the public, experts say. Experts say. And here we are, folks. All this time, years later. They, it's, it's so bad, they have to admit there's something wrong. So bad. And even then they'll fight it, because now the Alcan and, and all the rest of the big corporations will have to pay once again to have this stuff disposed of. Back with more after this. Hi folks, we're back, cutting through the Matrix, and we hear lots of stories, of course, that like trivia to a lot of people eventually, we get so much dished at us all the time of data, and sometimes we get something horrific, etc., like yesterday, of course, you had the, uh, the, the slaughtering in Woolwich in, in England, with the two guys that basically made a public execution of a soldier that was off duty to protest uh, the, the British involvement uh, going over to Afghanistan and other countries killing Muslims. That's what it was. It wasn't a public execution. You, you'd think it was Rwanda you were into uh, with, the, with the, the, the knives and so on slashing away. Anyway, we also forget what happens at home as well. And I can remember going through some of the history of the, the CIA to do with many of the tests that we're doing at home over many, many years, not just MK Ultra, but they also continue that under many different guises. And uh, because the whole thing is for the CIA is to total control of the populations. And, uh, and they, they even hired thousands of prostitutes in the U.S., and set them up in apartments, and they had them all film gear set up too. And the whole idea was to have the prostitutes test different drugs on their various clients and watch what happened. This went on for about 30 years. I mean, how much footage do you need to know if these drugs work or not? I mean, what's it really all about? We'll never get the, the full story, never will get the full story. But you see, the CIA is not there to help America any more than MI6 is, is really there to help Britain either. It's completely taken over, and actually they were set up by people who really were not uh, this way nationalistic at all, didn't really have loyalty to a country, in a sense. Anyway, the tests go on all the time. Now, last year, people remember, I hope, that uh, there's all this cannibalism that was mentioned in the media happening at home in the U.S., and they blamed it on bath salts and all this kind of stuff. And it's the first time a lot of people had heard of this, this, this chemical they use, they nickname they call bath salts. Uh, which isn't really bad salts at all. But anyway, it says, for the one that, where the, the first one that really broke out and caught the public's attention was with a, a, a man who ended up completely naked with another man, stripped his clothes off and beat him up and, and started eating him. And no, no one remembers what happened about that because that's how fast things go in and out of your mind today, you see. This is Miami cannibal victim, the one, one who had his, his eyes actually taken out of him too, learning to play guitar as part of treatment a year after most of his face was chewed off in the horrific attack. 
It was a hobo the guy, apparently. Uh, Ronald Popo almost died after he was attacked by Rudy Eugene. He was left blind, completely blind. Both eyes were gone. Lost his nose as well in the frenzied assault in May last year. Mr. Popo works with the occupational therapist on how to take care of himself, and he's learning guitar and practices it every day, it says. He thanked people for the support over the past year. Now, you should see the, the photographs in this because this guy had no plastic, you know, expensive plastic surgery, obviously. And it's, it's something else to see that the mess this guy's left. And, but the interesting part is too, uh, is the little bits that they put out there without going any further about them. And, um, from the history of the, the perpetrator who caused this to happen, who did it and who was shot by the police and the act of eating the fella, um, they haven't said what caused it. He had no history of this thing, anything like before. And yet he goes crazy in a park. They've tested his, his blood and all, but he was not on drugs. He did not have these, these so-called bath salts in him either. And there's been no explanation given whatsoever. And it isn't until you go into the different drugs they tested for the military do you get anything possibly coming close to this kind of thing happening. Because uh, even even when they made the movie Jacob's Ladder, it was based on the fact that the U.S. had been testing various drugs on soldiers in special settings to make them into the ultimate uh, drug-induced, crazy, nasty, horrific warriors you can imagine. And different drugs were tried in them. And the problem was they decided to attack each other on the same side and, and kill each other. The stuff was tied on monkeys too. It made them all rip, rip each other apart. So it makes you wonder what else is still going on because something was behind uh, that whole spate of things that happened and it died down right away too. But as I say, uh, it was all the hype about the guy being on bath salts and yet uh, it comes now, now it comes out that he wasn't on anything at all. Nothing was found in his bloodstream except some, some marijuana. Now marijuana does not make you go wild and start eating people. It's the opposite. So something else was, was was involved here. And often with these chemicals too, unless you know what you're looking for, you won't find it if it's not on the list, you see. But I'll put that up tonight too for those who want to go through it. And also too, we know that um, the U.S. Senate's approved uh, arms for the Syrian insurgents. Let's call them what they are, because we're always using the term insurgents. When anybody goes to help in the Muslim countries against the West... But uh, we're calling them rebels and, and friendly, fr- friendly rebels uh, from the Al-Qaeda guys who are trying to kick the Syrians out, the government of Syria out. And the U.S. Senate's uh, approved arms to go to, to, to the militants there. And also Britain at the same time has, has just uh, revoked their uh, embargo, that embargo to stop arms going to these rebels. Now they've cancelled that so they can now send arms to them as well at the same time. You see, so plus the Syrians also got a a whole bunch of stuff given to them, uh, supposedly through the Saudi uh, government, 35 ton arms shipment from Saudi Arabia. But they want an awful lot more, apparently, and uh, they want air-to-ground missiles, things like that from the U.S., uh, which they'll probably get, I'd imagine so. Also, too, I've mentioned so many times that the whole idea... Those who run the system set up the Rawlingship of International Affairs, Council on Foreign Relations, Bank for International Settlements and International Monetary Fund. I'll be talking about that when I come back after this break.
You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi folks, we're back cutting through the matrix talking about the IMF, the International Monetary Fund, a private group of course, and uh, under this system that the Royal Institute of International Affairs set up, which is a global system uh, with its so-called democracy, the Bank for International Settlements at the top in Switzerland, and the IMF beneath that too, running all the central banks, the private central banks, they're really going full steam ahead. As they, as they cause crisis, then they've given themselves more power to solve the problems, which they never do, of course. Whatever they do ends up with, with more bailouts and so on, more borrowing from private investors, again, all attached to the IMF, and then you're further in the hole. And, and this is a strategy to get, to get total power over all the countries. That's what it is. But the IMF, it says, urges the UK to spend more to fund investment, it says. And it says uh, Britain's government should spend more now to fund investment and steer its economy back to recovery. The International Monetary Fund said Wednesday, a call unlikely to be heeded by Chancellor George Osborne. Economic data earlier on Wednesday highlighted the challenge facing Osborne. Retail sales slumped last month, while a measure of public borrowing jumped to a record high. Well, everyone's, all these countries are going through inflation. Because, again, it was the IMF that recommended we all go through inflation. All the central banks are doing it. The U.S. Treasurer has said that uh, inflation has been set to increase for the next 10 years. This is the plan. And by the time we're finished, everything will be, uh, be, will cost you two to three times of what it cost the pre- uh, when it started. Uh, because your dollar and your money is devalued in Britain. It's a pound in the euro. And that's how they're going to get out of the hole, supposedly. Anyway... It says, in relief for the under-fire uh, conservative-left government, the IMF's annual report did not repeat an explicit call by the fund in April to, for Britain to consider slowing the pace of spending cuts aimed at reducing its hefty budget deficit. Now, it's still borrowing money uh, from the private lenders in order to throw in at all the other countries in Europe that are also failing. This is the agreement they all made when they joined this EU, this latest uh, round of agreements they had. That when the IMF demands money from you or the central bank, this new private central bank for the whole of Europe uh, demands money from any government, they're given up to 12 days to comply, no matter what the sum is. And then it's given and, and, and so-called it's thrown into some country that's supposedly sinking. And that's why they're getting further and further in the hole, borrowing money to throw it to another country to plug holes. What a great con this is. Beautiful con. really is. And it's his Prime Minister David Cameron is under pressure from his own members of Parliament over his policies in Europe and gay marriage. Well, that's a sideline to get you off of what's really happening. The whole crash system is happening with the economy. And it has had to quell speculation that his coalition might not last until the next election. It's all, it's all a pantomime. Politics is a front pantomime for the public. Even Benjamin Disraeli in his day said that the real powers behind the, the scenes is, is, are never seen by the public. There, there is a real power behind the scenes. These guys never get end up in the papers. Their pictures are never in the papers, unless they're off in some uh, luxurious massive yacht somewhere. But uh, they, they don't uh, go into politics. They don't play politics. Politics is, is just a show for the public. And it's been that for a long time. And that was also verified by the CFRs, uh, Professor Carl Quigley, 
who was the historian of the CFR and Royal Institute of International Affairs, he said that uh, uh, the, the, the Royal Institute of International Affairs, CFR, has picked presidents and prime ministers for, he said, for over 60 years. That was back in the 60s, he said that. So about 100 years now, they've been picking the, the, the presidents and prime ministers. And the guys at the top of every party are members of this one private organization. Anyway, I'll put this link up tonight. And then it says here, Relief for Osborne at last as the IMF spots signs of recovery and welcomes improvement in the economy. This is a day later. And so the IMF fund drops the call for slower deficit reduction. But inspectors urge a chance to consider growth-enhancing initiatives. Suggest bringing forward capital spending and cutting corporation tax. So they want to cut corporation tax to the big international corporations again. You see, they're hardly paying anything at all. And what it says in this article is that to make up the money that you're going to lose from the corporations, just vastly increase the cost of home ownership taxes. Just put the home ownership taxes out of sight. Well, that'll wipe out the middle class. See, the plan under Agenda 21, remember, is no private property, except in the hands of housing corporations. And private, that's all private investors who own, you know, streets and streets across the main cities and apartments and so on. That's the agenda, folks. This is how they get to their agendas. It's quite simple. He also wants to increase the value-added tax. The value-added tax is pretty well across the board in everything you purchase. Some countries it's about 28% on top of the price advertised, whatever it happens to be. And this is, this is the, the system they want to foist upon the whole world. And once the US and Canada and, and some other countries from Latin America are members of this trans-Atlantic partnership deal, then we'll all be throwing money at them too, as they throw money supposedly at countries that are floundering and going bankrupt. So then we're all in the hole then. You say, what great con. And then, of course, once we're all, all broke totally, they'll give us a new solution for a new system, of a new economy, a new currency, etc., etc. Yep, that's how it's going to work, folks. Also, too, says that IMF's Chopra wants the ESM to refinance Ireland bank debts, too. They've been really hammered in Ireland with the chronology. And, of course, their politicians are as corrupt as every other countries, unfortunately. And they've all sold out uh, to these big banks. And also the GA, of course, has been held in Ireland. And it says, it says the Irish police will get powers to block mobile phone signals for the G8 summit in Fermanagh. It says, and... Um, New laws in the Republic of Ireland are being rushed in ahead of the G8 summit to allow the Garda, the police, to order telecom companies to shut down or shut off signals to prevent terrorists using mobile phones to detonate bombs. So the Irish Justice Minister, Alan Shatter, is bringing in the legislature ahead of the G8 summit of world leaders in Fermanagh next month. He said it was possible a terrorist group would use the G8 as a chance to garner publicity for themselves by setting off a bomb. Actually, it'll also stop the, 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 the reporters from reporting and all the, the expensive, lavish prostitutes and that are laid on for them. You know, male and female of different ages as well, by the way. They have them every time they have these meetings. Cost of a bomb, literally. But anyway, this is their excuse for it anyway, that they're going to cut down and, and stop any possible terrorism. Why would they even have it there? Why would they have it somewhere else? Ireland's broke as it is. And it's going to cost them a hell of a lot of money to, to try and even put this on. And it says, um, 
Coalition sources indicated the Gardaí have gone down this route before in limited circumstances, but Mr Shatterall put the process on a legislative footing, setting out clear guidelines where senior Gardaí can make their request and obliging the mobile phone providers to abide by the order. So now they can just simply order the, the ISP companies to just shut down all conversations. Mind you, the cops in Britain and across Europe too are on a special system with their own intercoms, by the way. A very powerful system, two different frequency, and so they'll be okay, you understand. In fact, a cop in Britain can technically talk to a guy over in Spain or France, an ordinary cop with the system that he's on. Also causes cancer, by the way, even worse than the regular cell phone. Anyway, it says eight world leaders will jet in for the summit, including President Barack Obama, German Chancellor Angela Merkel, and the British Prime Minister David Cameron. It said that the summit created a real necessity for legislation to give the Irish government the power to ask phone companies to cut or limit signals. They've also got, mind you, drones that can fly over and cut the whole lot out too. That was in the paper last year. And also, too, that the costs, just for the police alone in Ireland here, that the country that's bankrupt, G8 summit police costs about £50 million for this meeting. The taxpayers are going to fork out £50 million just for the policing. That's not the hotels, uh, the prostitutes and all the rest of it. And all the medical examiners they've got to have first before they present them to these, you know, special people that fly in. And... Um, so it says policing and security costs of the G8 conference in Fermanagh next month is running at an estimated £50 million. All security chiefs in London and Belfast prepare for the summit at Loch Ern near Enniskillen. Uh, the body in charge of the finances said that I, the PSNI have been told it must obtain a written guarantee that any expenditure can be recouped. God knows how. So I'll put this up tonight too, but this is the sort of cost of this thing, and that's cheap compared to the, the big G20 they had in Canada. It was in the billions, you know. And I think, I don't think we've ever been told the complete cost of it. We even built a private sort of lake, a little model lake for them without a log cabin in the middle. I don't know who got that bed. But anyway, that's what they do. Now, if those who have never gone through the history of psychiatry, remember there's a political agenda and a social agenda behind psychiatry. Folk don't realize that. They're given the, the standard nonsense put out by the perpetrators of the whole scam. If they go to university, and that's what they get taught. And you have to go into the history of Freud and read everything the man wrote, including his private letters and addresses he gave to different agencies and organizations to understand what it was all about. But it was eventually, it was to also give a group of people the right to determine who was sane, who was not sane. It tied in, uh, the communists ran with this one too, because they had a lot in common with uh, Freud in, in some ways, those who run the Soviet Union. And it was staffed by just one group of people for many, many years who kept hold of it jealously and very tightly like a clique. And they created the World Psychiatry Association under Freud's daughter. And um, some of the guys who were in it wrote about it. The Catholic left or, or, uh, of their own accord, like like Carl Jung, and who was the only outsider, by the way, of this group. And uh, because they, he said, I can't go along with Freud's idea that they must make, this is what Freud told him, he says, we must make sexual uh, sex, he says, the basis of all human endeavor and motivation. 
Everything became libido, libido, libido. And, and Jung said this was nonsense. It wasn't true at all. But Freud had to have sunk everything on this, you see, to make it so. Because there was a theory going round that a, a certain backlash against a certain people was always caused by, uh, by sexual suppression of those in the Western countries. This is what they claimed for certain uh, discrimination, you might say. Uh, completely false, but this is what they put on. And of course, that's why they sexualized the whole culture. Massive thing behind it. And eventually, too, they wanted the right to grab every child at school. This is back in the 1920s and 30s. Uh, and, and, and drug them early on. Because everyone in, in this out culture, which is all the West, it's, that's the out culture, not the in culture, uh, was technically mentally ill. This conclusion this group came to. So you have to understand that's what was really, really behind it. Never made the big pharma boys that were also on board with it and so on. Anyway, along, many years later along comes the, the usual things, attention deficit disorders and things like that. And it says here, the inventor of ADHD's deathbed confession says that ADHD is a fictitious disease. It says, uh, fortunately, it's the Swiss National Advisory Commission on Biomedical Ethics called NEK, President Otfield Hoff, uh, critically commented on the use of the ADHD drug Ritalin as speed-based amphetamine in its opinion of 22nd November 20, uh, 2011 titled Human Enhancement by Means of Pharmacological Agents. The consumption of pharmacological agents altered the child's behavior without any contribution on his or her part. That amounted to interference in the child's freedom and personal rights because pharmacological agents induced behavioral changes but failed to educate the child on how to achieve these behavioral changes independently. The child was thus deprived of an essential learning experience to act autonomously and emphatically, which considerably curtails children's freedom and impairs their personality development, the NEK criticized. The alarm critics of the Ritalin disaster are now getting support from an entirely different side. The German Weekly had their Spiegel quoted on its cover story 2nd February 2012. The U.S.-American psychiatrist Leon Eisenberg, born in 1922 as a son of Russian Jewish immigrants who was the scientific father of ADHD, he invented it, and who said at the age of 87, seven months before his death in his last interview, he said, ADHD is a prime example of a fictitious disease. Since 1968, however, some 40 years later, Leon Essenberg's disease haunted the Diagnostic and Statistical Manuals versus Hyperkinetic Reaction of Childhood, now called ADHD, and the use of ADHD medications in Germany rose in only 18 years from 34 uh, kilog- kg, it says, in 1993 to a record of no less than 1,760 in 2011, which is a 51-fold increase in sales. That's kilograms of medication. A, a great thing is to come out with a con, they're all sick. Oh, here, they're, all, they're all hyperactive, so let's give them speed, met- amphetamine. Which makes anybody hyperactive. The theory being uh, uh, that this will actually make them go the opposite way. Boy, this is a belief system for you. Eh? <sighs> so it's a 51-fold increase in sales on this amphetamine. In the U.S. states, every tenth boy amongst 10-year-olds already swallows an ADHD medication on a daily basis with an increasing tendency. And it says... Um, 
when it comes to the proven uh, repertoire of Edward, Edward Bernays, the guy, a Greek chronologist, Edward Bernays, the father of propaganda, to sell the First World War to his people with the help of his uncle's psychoanalysis and to distort science and the faith in it and science to increase profits of the industry, what about investigating on whose behalf the scientific father of ADHD conducted science? His career was remarkably steep, and his fictitious disease disease led to the best sales increases. And after all, he served in the committee for the DSM-5, that's the stats manual uh, and the diagnostic manual for for the Psychiatric Association, and ICD-12, American Psychiatric Association from 2006 to 2009. After all, Leon Eisenberg received the Ruan Prize for Child and Adolescent Psychiatry Research. He's been a leader in child psychiatry for more than 40 years through his work in pharmacological trials, research, teaching, and social, social policy, and for his theories of autism and social medicine. And after all, Eisenberg was a member of the Organizing Committee for Women and Medicine Conference Bahamas, November 29th, December 2006. And it goes through the different foundations he belonged to. Uh, he's a top guy in all his foundations as he pushed his drugs. And it says that, um, it says of the 170 DSM panel members, uh, 95, 56% had one or more financial associations with companies in the pharmaceutical industries. Not bad, eh? All these psychiatrists that make up the, the DSM, the manual and so on, and create new diseases, all had memberships and were receiving money from pharmaceutical companies, big ones. 100% of the members of the panels in the mood disorders and schizophrenia and other psych- psychotic disorders had financial ties to the drug companies. The connections are especially strong in those diagnostic areas where drugs are the first line of treatment for mental disorders. Quite something, eh? Come up with an idea, a fictitious disease, and the money flows in. Back with more after this. Hi folks, we're cutting through the matrix and also back to the IMF again, International Monetary Fund. The chief, Christine Lagarde, it was Christine Lagarde that says this to face questions over $520 million or million dollars payoff. They're all crooks, you see, but she'll get off with it. They've got to keep their reputation under a standard, but have no confidence in them. That's what they always tell you. So the International Monetary Fund Chief Christine Lagarde is facing questions at a special Paris court Thursday after her role in the 400 million euro, which is 520 million dollar payoff to a controversial businessman when she was France's finance minister. The court hearing threatens to sully the reputations of both Lagarde and France. The payment was made to well-connected entrepreneur Bernard Tappy as part of a private arbitration process to settle a dispute with state-owned bank credit uh, Lyonnais over the botched sale of Adidas, Adidas company in the 1990s. It is seen by many in France as an example of the cozy relationship between big money and big power in France. She earned her praise, Lagarde earned praise for her negotiating skills as managing director of the IMF through Europe's debt crisis and is seen as a trailblazer for women leaders. Her decision to let the Adidas dispute go to private arbitration rather than settled in the courts has drawn criticism and French lawmakers asked the magistrates to investigate. 
So it says, um, a press briefing Thursday in Washington, IMS spokesman Jerry Rice said it's an executive board, a Lagarde's request. It said, it said, had already waived her diplomatic immunity to the extent necessary to enable her to appear before French authorities in the case. Anyway, she was real pally with this guy, you see, and she ruled in his favour. And, and this is all comes down to, it's an awful lot of cash, certainly, he was awarded. And, um, and that's how things work at the top. You know, you scratch my back and etc., etc., and things like that goes on all the time. And also, this article here, it's, it's often, you know, I, I think those guys in the FBI and all, any agency at all, if some big story breaks and it's, there's a lot of limelight on anything, it's dangerous for them. Because some of the agents who investigated and caught uh, Sarnef in the Boston bombings, two FBI agents, just fell out of a helicopter. They fell out of a helicopter and died. Kind of dangerous work, that, eh? In a training exercise, supposedly. So it says two members of the FBI's elite counterterrorism unit died Friday when practicing how to quickly drop from a helicopter. Well, well they got the latter part right. They dropped awfully quickly, I can tell you that, to a ship using a rope. The FBI announced Monday in a statement. They call it abseiling. As you abseil down the rope. The statement gave few details regarding the deaths of Special Agents Christopher Lorick and Stephen Shaw. Other to say that the helicopter encountered unspecified difficulties and the agents fell a significant distance. God, it's kind of, as I say, it was like the Kennedy assassination. All the witnesses that they, they, they got at the time, they all ended up just dying. One after another. All natural causes, though, mind you. And it led folks to wonder if, if, if most of them even existed. This is what happens, you see, when you've left with so much mysticism at the end of things. Doesn't it? Anyway, so the official blamed bad weather for the incident and said the agents, members of the FBI's hostage rescue team based in Quantico, fell into the water. The official said he believed the agents died as a result of the impact rather than drowning. It must have been from an awful height to, to die with the impact of hitting the water. And Glenn McBride, spokesman for the state medical examiner's office, said it could be months before his staff can re- release a final cause and manner of death for the two agents. So, yeah, that can be dangerous indeed, eh? Yep. Anyway, from Hamish myself from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me. God, your gods go with you. <laughs>